We pray that as you listen to this message, you will not only be challenged, but changed. Our desire here at Heart Seas Family Life Church is to see people grow and develop in their walk with God, for all to enter into His best for their lives. For more information in regards to the church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We pray that you will be blessed. Are you ready to receive the word this morning? Come on, you're quiet today. How many got just kind of waterlogged a little bit coming to church today? Come on, you just need to dry out and just to get excited in the house of God. Today I want to talk about a subject, and really we're going to talk about it for the next couple of weeks. And I know initially I said that after we concluded our series on It's All About Me, that we were going to talk about worship. And we are going to talk about worship, but not yet. Because I believe that God has laid something upon my heart for the moment. And I'm always trying to be so sensitive to God because there's so many thoughts and so many directions that I have in my mind that we could go. And they're good directions and they're good things. But you know what? I want God's direction because I want a word in season that's going to touch every one of your hearts. And this morning, therefore, we're going to begin a series on purity. We're going to talk about Purity. I went to Miss Nancy this week and I said, Miss Nancy, here's the title of my message. It's just purity. It's just purity. Because so many times we can maybe complicate things and all this. But you know what? We're going to talk about purity. And purity, amazingly enough, I think, is a subject that is not taught enough in church today. And if it is taught... It's so often presented in such a roundabout way where it's not totally labeling purity as it is. I believe purity is black and white. That wasn't a racial comment, by the way. I believe purity is black and white. We've made it so gray in description, in definition, that we've tried to live so much in pushing the envelope to live in the gray area where the Bible is very black and white and red, if Jesus said it. But it's very black and white. So what happens is, instead of people being very specific and preaching clarity and purity, a lot of times they muddy the water. They try to please everyone instead of having that clarity and bringing forth something that's crystal clear. And this is for why people have preached their convictions. Is it wrong to have convictions? No. But it's wrong to have personal convictions. Let Let me clarify that. We can go out with some people... And we can turn around and say, well, I'm not going to do that because God's word tells me I shouldn't. And people will say, well, I'm not personally convicted in that area. Have you ever heard someone like that? I'm not personally convicted in that. That, that doesn't faze me. You see, the fact is this. It's not personal conviction. It's personal choice. You've gone quiet on me. It's personal choices because the reality is the word of God is the same for everyone. 
Whether you choose to be convicted of certain things or not, you can't say, well, that's my personal conviction because you're preaching wrong. You're saying that's my personal choice. And if you're choosing against God's word, you are personally choosing to live against God's word. So it's not a case of, well, I can be personally convicted of this, but it doesn't faze me. The reality is it's either in God's word or it's not. It's personal choices. But what's happened is people have built religions. People have built messages on personal convictions instead of preaching the power and the anointed, truthful word of God. We're preaching our feelings at the expense of God's words. How do we do that when, as I said, purity, God's word is very black and white, when it speaks about specific things such as purity. And that's one of the major problems today, isn't it, that people don't want to offend others. We know what we need to say, but yet we don't say it because we don't want to offend people. I thought about that. We would choose, instead of offending them, To send them to hell happy. Come on. We won't rock their boat. We'll just not say anything. And let them keep living what they will. And perhaps sending them to a lost eternity. But at least they'll be happy and we didn't offend them. The gospel message is offensive. The gospel message is offensive. But you know what? It's also life changing. It's not a pretty symbol that we have for our message, a bloody cross. Come on. It's not a pretty symbol. It's not all niceness as we've made it. A bloody cross when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That's a tough thing. We don't fully comprehend that because we don't walk down streets and see people crucified on each side and hear the agony and the pain and the suffering. When Jesus said that, he said there was a dying to self. There's going to be offense. People are going to be offended of you because of me. But you know what? It's still a life-changing message. We've got to watch that we don't get so caught up in not wanting to offend other people that we're not telling them the truth. I believe that it's possible to tell someone that they are wrong and make them happy about it. You know how? By giving them something better. Come on. By giving them something better. And the gospel message is something better. Do I hear an amen? So we're going to talk about purity, guarding your total being, protecting your life. Turn with me, if you would, to Joshua chapter 3. And verse 5, Joshua chapter 3 and verse 5. While you were turning there, some background quickly. The children of Israel have lived 40 years in the wilderness. They're on the shoreline of the Jordan, getting ready to cross, to walk into the promise of God. Jericho is facing them. Joshua sends two spies. Sherry talked about it last Sunday, about them going to see Rahab. The spies are back. They're ready to move. They are ready to act. They're ready to take the promise. My God, I am ready for people in this house to take their promise. I'm tired of seeing Christians bound, oppressed, tormented, sick and lame. I'm ready to see some people that will walk into the promises that God has for every one of them. But what took place from the wilderness to the promise? Read it with me. Joshua 3 Verse 5, 
And Joshua said to the people, and Philip is saying to each one of you this morning, God is speaking to each one of you this morning. What does it say? Sanctify. Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders amongst you. New Living Translation says, purify yourselves. Purify yourselves. They were about to finally step in to their promise. And it's very interesting to me that one of the last commands that God gives to them, or one of the first commands, whichever way you're looking at it, that God gives to them is purify yourselves. Purify yourselves. Make yourself holy and prepared. In other words, God says, separate yourself from anything in your life that is unclean so you can devote yourself now fully to the Lord. How many knows after 40 years in a wilderness, they had a lot of things attached to them that did not have any business going into their promise? Come on, in life, we live in a dirty world, don't we? We live in a filthy world. There's a lot of things that want to attach themselves, that want to consume us, that want to indwell us, that want to filtrate our lives, that want to come in, that want to defile us. But I believe God's word for every one of us is this. There's a promise out there and it comes to those who are of a pure heart. It's for those who would say, God, sanctify me. Leave that stuff behind, God is saying. Why would you want that stuff when you've got the promise? Come on, God's saying all those things, those impure things, they have no place in your promise. They have no place in your future. How much trash do we have in our promise today? How much trash do we have In our promise. Why do we have trash in our promise? Why do we have impurity and defilement in our lives? Because we have willfully chosen not to lay it down and to walk away from it. We convince ourselves that only a little won't hurt. You know what, you may be right to start with. A little probably won't cause a lot of problems. But you know what, an alcoholic didn't become an alcoholic the morning he woke up. An alcoholic became an alcoholic one drink at a time. These things, these sins that try to, as the Bible says, so easily beset us, come upon us. They come in so slowly but yet so surely. I preached a message once about just a little bit. I preached a message called Just a Little Bit, how we can go through lives, and as the Bible says in Romans 12, that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, pleasing unto God, which is our reasonable. That's the least of our service, the Bible says. But yet we try to present a life to God, and we try to show God with all the trash that's inside. But yet we just try and say it's just a little bit. Well, you know what? I don't curse much. It's just a little bit. 
Well, I just don't do this. It's just a little bit. And the example that I used was I went outside and I got a piece of dirt. I made a cake while I was preaching. And while I was preaching, I put the eggs and, and just whatever, and I'm beating it all up, and it's all there nicely in the bowl. And I said, you know, just a little bit, and I put just a couple of pieces of a leaf. And I whipped it up, and I said, how many people would eat this cake? Well, most people still put up their hand and say, no problem. I mean, leaf, a little bit of extra protein, no big deal. I got some other things, and I put just a little bit of an eggshell in there. You know, maybe a little bit of a crunch on the tooth, but hey, the chocolate chips are still going to be worth it. But you know what? I took a piece of dog do. <laughs> Just the smallest little bit. And I put it in that cake. And I mixed it around. It's amazing. People would eat it with a leaf. People would eat it with an eggshell, but no one wanted to eat it with just the smallest little piece of dog do inside of it. But it's just a little bit. It's just a little bit. But isn't it amazing how just a little bit can destroy the whole thing? Just a little, Pastor. It's just a little bit of this. But you know what I found a little bit is a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope that goes downwards. Because you see, what we've got to understand here, God's word says this. Look what God's word says in James chapter 1 and verse 15. It says this. When lust has conceived, or the word is when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, what? Help me out. Brings forth death. So what we see is, first it's just a little desire. It's a little bit of lust. It's a little bit of impurity. It's just something ungodly, but it's just enough. These evils, the New Living Translation says, these evil desires lead to evil actions, and evil actions lead to death. So what we see is, it starts as something small that is just conceived. Something that's conceived grows, gives birth, and then begins to really grow. So we can turn around and say, but pastor, it's just a little bit. It's no big deal. But the Bible tells us the little things will end up killing us, destroying our marriages, destroying our homes, destroying our testimony, destroying perhaps our health. So many things that the enemy wants to do in your life. You may say, well, it's not totally doing that. I mean, come on, look, I'm living life right now. I mean, nothing's happening bad to me. There's always tomorrow, the next day, and the next day. Eventually, sin will catch up with every one of us. You see, our lives can only be under two controls. And you're not one of them. A lot of people think, well, I can control my life. Your life 
the Bible says you are under two controls. You are either under the control of God or you're under the control of Satan. Come on, help me out. Am I, t- am I preaching the truth today? You're quiet today. You are either under the control of God or you are under the control of Satan. And John 10 verse 10 tells us what happens as the result of the two controls. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the result of being under Satan. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But God says when you're under my control and you allow my word to rule and reign in your life, there is a life that I want to give to you that is a life that will give you abundance, blessing, deliverance, victory in your life. Well, pastor, I'm in control. No, you're not. You can take control, but you know what? It's not going to be good because we think we're in control, but we're either under his control or we're under Satan's control. And we've got to realize that. Everyone loves a puppy. How many loves puppies in here? Come on. If you could buy a puppy, every one of us would buy one if they stayed that way. But there's something about puppies. You know what that is, Chip? They grow and they grow and they Something that used to be so cute and so fluffy now is knocking you down when you go in the backyard. Something so innocent, something so, oh, something that's so appealing today can be an absolute monster and terror tomorrow. You see, just a little today, harmless fun, curiosity, Being experimental, spreading your wings, as they call it. Label it as you may. It will cause something different to take place tomorrow. What may be cute today is a bondage tomorrow. What may be harmless fun today is an addiction tomorrow. What curiosity may be today will be brokenness tomorrow. What experimenting and spreading your wings is will produce emptiness Tomorrow. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 6, verse 27. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burnt? What does that mean? You can't play with fire without it burning you. Now that scripture there is talking about adultery and adulterous actions, impurities in our lives. We can't deal with these things. We can't flirt with these things. We can't double date God with these things and not expect our lives to be affected. And never in a good way. Come on, say with me today, sanctify me. Come on, sanctify myself. Come on, say it with me. Sanctify myself. Purify my life. The word purity means this. The first meaning that I found was this. Freedom from anything impure. A cleanness or clearness. The second definition is freedom from evil and innocence. And the third definition of purity is freedom from foreign or inappropriate elements. Having a correctness. I think it's pretty neat when you think about purity that every definition starts with the same word. Freedom. 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 Isn't that the gospel message? That God came to give us freedom. God came to give us liberty from every work of the enemy. But let's look at that word purity in its root form, which is pure. 
And the meaning of pure is this, not mixed with anything else. Unadulterated. Genuine. What a deadly cocktail our lives have become. Our lives have become so mixed where purity says a life that's unmixed, a genuine life, not adultery. But yet that which is pure, but yet today, so often we look at our lives as being such a polluted mess. And then, as I said a few moments ago, we try to offer that up to God and present it to him pleasing and hope it to be acceptable. It's not. I'm sure you've all heard this story, but it fits so well. There was a man who was very wealthy that lived up a very high mountain. To get to his beautiful estate, you had to go up a severely winding steep road with cliffs, with fall-offs on each side. This man had a limo driver that had driven him for 20, 30 years and this man had passed away. And he was looking for a new driver. So he put an ad in the local paper saying, limo driver needed interview at this date and time. He looked as three men came forward for the job. He sat them all down in front of them and he began to tell them their responsibilities and their requirements. And he asked them a specific question. He said, you know how treacherous the pathway or the roadway is up to my estate. You know how sheer the cliffs or the fall off is if we were to go off the road. He said, I want to ask each one of you a question today. And that is this. When you drive me on that road, how close can you take my car to the edge without taking me over? He pointed to the first guy. The first guy said, well, that's easy. I can take you within three feet of the edge. No problem. Within three feet. No problem. Points to the second guy. Second guy goes, three feet? I can take you three inches from the edge. I mean, we can be flirting right on the edge, but I can guarantee with my expertise that we're not going over the edge. Man nods his head and points to the third guy. And he says to the third man, how close can you take me? And he said, as far away from the edge As possible. I wonder who got the job. I wonder who you would want driving you down or up a treacherous pathway. Flirting so close to the edge, always running the risk of falling in or falling over. I want to be driven by the one who's going to take me the furthest away from the edge. The one that's going to take me on the safest pathway through life. But yet, we want to push the envelope, don't we? We want to try and get as close to the world and the things of this world as possibly we can, but yet not fall in. Just enough that we can still call ourselves a Christian and come to church without too much guilt. But yet, we're just... Desiring all these other things. All these other things. 
just doing enough just to maintain ourselves. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 12, if you would. We're going to read Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, and then through verse 5. And it says these words. The angel of death is about to pass by, and God tells Moses these words. He says, speak to the congregation of Israel and say, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. According to the house of his father, they shall take a lamb for a house. And look what verse 5 tells us. Your lamb shall be without blemish. The lamb, that which you take, shall be without blemish. Blemish. God was very clear. The angel of death was about to come through Egypt and smite all the firstborn. And God told the children of Israel there was safety and sanctification if they would take a lamb, a spotless lamb, that they would sacrifice it, that they would put the blood on each side of the doorpost and at the top. God was very clear about this. God said to them these words. He said, not anything will do. Well, he didn't say that. He said without a blemish, but that's what he means. He was saying to them, not anything offered or given would do. It wouldn't be accepted unless it was out blemish. This wasn't the only time that God said these words to the children of Israel. In fact, many times he instructs them that when you bring or give or sacrifice something to me, it has to be something that's pure. That which is undefiled. That which it has no blemish. Leviticus 23 and verse 12, you can see it on the screen. It says, and you shall offer on that day when they wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish. As a burnt offering unto the Lord. That word blemish there in the original language is tamin. T-A-M-I-M. Tamin. That word occurs 90 times in the word of God. And every time that word appears, it's in reference or the thought is this, of someone or something that is completely unblemished and upright. I haven't got time today, but if you would, take time to study through God's word from Genesis to Revelation. And you will see on numerous occasions the results of giving to God that which was impure, and that which was not acceptable. But on the same regard, you'll see what happens when you give something to God that is pure and acceptable. But we find when we offer to God and present something to God that's not what He requires, that it placed people in terrible places and sometimes even cost people their lives. But yet, you and I, in knowing the truth, we still choose to live that way. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? We live in such a compromising world that says anything goes, that anything happens. It turned my stomach last week on American Idol that two guys had sang a song that says, to love a woman. Have you ever really loved a woman? 
And to listen to one of the judges on the panel, Ellen DeGeneres, say these words, actually, yes, I have loved a woman. And to hear the whole crowd just roar in laughter, thinking, how funny. How funny it is. The Bible is very clear when it comes to things in regards to homosexuality, lesbianism, impurity, living that way. But yet today it's become a joke. It's become accepted. And not only accepted outside of the church walls, it's become accepted in the church. Listen to me today. We don't condemn such people. We love such people. But we condemn the act of what they do. And the problem is today, you see, we can turn around and say, well, at least I don't deal with that. But is the impurities of our lives any better? Are the impurities of our lives any better? When did we start to categorize sin? Oh, the world does it. It's only a little white lie. It's only a half-truth. Listen, if it's not the whole truth, it's not the truth at all. You can't have a half-truth. Because anything that's not the truth makes it a lie. Come on. It's just a little white lie. Hey, a white lie will put you to hell as much as a black lie or red lie or purple lie or pink lie or green lie or whatever you want to call it. What's wrong with us? You know what I think is wrong with us? We've taken for granted the cross. We've taken for granted the cross. What do I mean by that? I believe too many of us choose to use the cross as an excuse for our sin instead of realizing it's our freedom from sin. What do you mean by that? Well, I've given my life to Christ. I'm going to church. And I know I'm this way and I'm that way. But you know what? I've given my life to Christ and and he accepts me and he forgives me and he knows my heart and he knows what's going on. And he knows we use it as an excuse. We say, well, just because I gave my life to Christ, then God just has to accept me exactly how I am. Of course, God accepts you how you are. But you know what? When he comes into your life, there's a change that takes place. He accepts you just as you are. But you know what? As you give your life to Christ... There's a change that takes place, or there should be a change that takes place. You know what we're saying when we say, well, God, you just have to accept the way that I am because that's the culture I live in. That's just this, that. You know what we're really saying to God? We're really saying, God, I am making a conscious decision to live a life that's bound and sinful instead of living in your freedom and liberty. These impure issues we face, they have a death grip. Please understand this. Sin has a death grip. It wants to grip you. It wants to squeeze every bit of life outside of you. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die so Satan could still have his hands around your neck. He didn't die so Satan could still be the puppeteer that's pulling the strings and directing the pathways of your life. When Jesus died on the cross, he broke the death grip of sin once and for all that you and I have no excuse. But we can live free in Him. We can live holy in Him. The cross is not an excuse or perhaps better said a license to sin. 
The cross speaks of a life of total surrender and giving unto Him. So many of us struggle through life and we wonder why. But willfully live such defiled lives, making the choices for ourselves. Look what God says to, Je- to Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 1 through 2. When Abram was 99 years young, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. That's that word again, tamim. Without blemish, without pure, or without blemish and being pure. And verse 2 says, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. What does God say to Abram? God said, if you walk before me, if you allow your heart to be pure. Come on, he knew Abram was going to make mistakes, just like he knows that we're going to still make mistakes. But you know what? When our heart is pure and we're desiring to live for God, God says that when you live in such a way, God says, live blamelessly and you'll live in blessing." But he says, live shamefully and you won't experience the blessings of God. Can God really bless what isn't pleasing in his sight and what he hears? Come on. Can God really bless that? We point the finger and say, well, God, why am I suffering? Why am I going through all these kind of things? Always remember when you point the finger, there's three fingers pointing back at you. And there's a thumb that's pointing up at God. Eve, oh Adam, what did you do? It wasn't me, it was her. Eve, what did you do? Well, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. We've got so good, haven't we? Throwing it off. But God says, you walk blamelessly before me. You walk upright. I know what some today, whether they're hearing by CD podcast or whether you're hearing live today, I know what some people are saying. I know what you're thinking right now. Some people are saying, oh, come on, give us a break. This is a new century. We live in a new age. Come on, get with it. Catch up with the times. I'm not perhaps the greatest when it comes to English. But to catch up. Or to catch something usually means it's ahead of you or above you. Would that be right? If you're going to catch something or catch up with something, you've got to strive to get it. Here's my dilemma with that. If my thinking is old-fashioned and I need to catch up with the times, here's my dilemma. Is this new way of thinking, this new way of living, Really moving me ahead and moving me up. Think about that for a moment. You need to catch up with the times. Oh, so I need to run ahead to those things? Is it really progressing my life? Is it really promoting and lifting my life? I mean, is my life better because, come on, everyone else is doing it? Is accepted? Is it making my life better? I want to interject this. The old way is still the best. The old way is still the best way. Because the old way is God's way. God's way. 
God's way. And God's way is always the best. Thank God today we don't have to bring a lamb or another animal to be sacrificed on behalf of our sins. Christ did that for us. He did that for us once and for all. That today there's victory in God. That once again we can make be pure and presentable to him. And that's what tells us in 1 Peter 1 verse 18 and 19. Knowing that we were redeemed, brought back. Not with corruptible, perishable things. Not through our works, but through his blood. Like silver or gold. Or from your aimless conduct received from the traditions of your fathers. Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb without blemish and without spot. He became that sacrifice for us that now we can live accepted in him. No longer to to live a polluted, defiled, blemished life. But instead allowing his strength and power to help to live pure. I believe it's once again time for God's children, for each one of us to sanctify our homes. Sanctify our lives. Literally make ourselves once again ready. God can take care of that which is within us. But we need to protect that which we fill our lives with. Quickly today as I close. I want to talk about the four windows of our lives. Because when we're dealing about purity, we've got to realize there's entrance points that Satan uses in our bodies. And there are actually four windows that Satan tries To break through. Those four windows are our minds, they're our eyes, they're our ears, and they are our mouths. The windows of our lives. I'm telling you right now, I believe it's still possible to live a life that's pure before God. Yes, you may be looked at as different, you may be looked at as strange, but you know what? When problems come, you're the person that people come back to. So window number one, our minds. Or what we allow to enter our minds. Or what we sit around and think or fantasize about. Fantasy is such an attack of the enemy that people sit there and fantasize outside of their lives of what their lives could be. My wife doesn't really treat me well and they begin to fantasize about how other women... My husband doesn't treat me. Begin to fantasize. Well, I don't like my job. Begin to fantasize. It's okay to dream. But you've got to be careful that you're dreaming reality and not fantasizing. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, Cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought. Say with me, every thought. Into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That means captivating our thoughts before they captivate you. Or perhaps better saying, controlling your thoughts, captivating your thoughts before they capsize your life. Because they'll take you down. Proverbs 23, 7. For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is or so he becomes. We've got to watch the thoughts. Now, we can't always control the thoughts that come in. But sometimes the atmosphere or the environment we're around will spawn those thoughts. We've got to watch. 
But the Bible says that we can captivate. We've got to guard our minds. We've got to guard the window of our minds. We think according to the information we indulge in. Write that down. We think according to the information we indulge in. What goes inside of us is what's going to be produced out of us. We think according to the information we indulge in. I said we can't always control the thoughts that come in. But most of those thoughts are consumed or they are fueled rather by one of the four windows that we're talking about today. We may not think it's important. But listen to this. They tell us that everything which goes into our minds is constantly there. It's never erased. Your mind is the greatest computer that has ever and will ever be invented. The database, the storage capacity of your brain is phenomenal. Everything you see, hear, smell, taste, experience goes into your mind and will never be erased. We can't always recall it. But sometimes subconsciously, things do play back that we don't even realize the source from which they came. And it's our mind. It's our minds. It's our minds. It may lay dormant. But it has the opportunity to resurface at any time. And man, do they resurface. Hello? Come on, hello. Who's going to be honest? They resurface, don't they? You've got to protect your mind. You've got to shut it down before it shuts you down. Guard your mind, your thoughts. Put on the helmet of salvation. The Bible says, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, of a good report, think on those things, meditate, dwell on those, everything else. Shut it down. When it starts playing itself, shut it down and say, no. Change the channel. Guard the window of your mind. What about our eyes? Our eyes pretty much are the main window through which sexual immorality or impurity will filter itself into our existence. That perversion passes through. We've got to watch what we watch. We've got to watch what we focus on. We've got to watch what we look at. Why? Because we said the mind never forgets, but the eyes are the camera that takes the snapshot images which the mind stores. Proverbs 4, verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead and let your eyelids look right before you. Come on, we need to put some blinders on. Funny quick story, we went to a place called Mallorca every year for a vacation with my parents. And we found this really remote beach and it was the most beautiful beach and and it was so quiet and it was wonderful and, and oh, it was just great and we loved going there. The next year we went back. And we couldn't believe everyone had found this beach. Cars were parked everywhere. It was packed. And we said, Dad, what should we do? He says, well, let's just go and see if we can find a bed somewhere. And we'll just stay here for today. And we'll have to look for probably another beach another time. Sun was so bright. The sand was so white. We're carrying our bags down. And Dad said, look, there's a couple of beds right down by the ocean, right down. He said, come on, let's walk. So you're like, you're burning your feet and they're so bright. And you're walking through and walking through. And we get right to the ocean. We put our bags on the bed and we turn around. And all around us is naked people. 
God is my witness, they had converted it to a nudist beach. Here I am, probably a 12-year-old kid. Come on, thinking I've died and gone to heaven. Come on, I, I just said what you were thinking. Come on, right now. My dad looked and said, put your heads down, grab your bags, we are getting out of here. You know, that may be so funny and so strange, but you know what? We've got to watch what we allow ourselves to be subject to. We made a mistake that day and it was a big one. But are you making a mistake every day by what you're seeing? You can maybe play it off a couple of times that you mistakenly found that website or you mistakenly. But at the end of the day, it's probably not an escape or a mistake. You see, we've got to guard our eyes. We've got to put the blinders on. My grandfather used to have championship horses and we would show them. And they would put the blinders on because the thought was this. Someone in the crowd shouting or waving could easily distract the horse and they could lose the prize. All that horse could see was that which was right in front of him. My God, we need to put some blinders on us because you don't have to look far to the left and to the right to see things that are very inappropriate. We've got to learn to bounce our eyes. And when I say bounce our eyes, I'm not talking back and forth like, oh, oh, oh. When I'm saying bounce our eyes, you're not bouncing them back and forth. You're bouncing your eyes forth. Get them out of there. Oh, don't look at those things. There's less and less today that our eyes need to look at that's wholesome. Oh, there's plenty to see. There's plenty that wants to imprison your eyes. Internet pornography is the highest it's ever been. And for many, all it took was one look. They're trapped. They're allured. It, they're sucked in. And just because it's hidden doesn't mean it's okay. In fact, often cases, hidden sins are the worst sins because if we were to do them in the open, we would know and say, no, I don't do those things. Our eyes are an entranceway that Satan is doing everything in his power to enter. Come on, it may be a puppy today, but it grows. Come on, it grows. It turns into a monster tomorrow. We've got to lock down our eyes. This used to just be really mainly more of a male issue that guys needed to watch their eyes. But you know what? It's just as big of an issue today for women as it is men. Watch your eyes. The snapshots that your mind will never forget. The third window, and I'm almost finished, is the window of our ears. What we allow to feed our spirits. Oh, but it's the most popular song now. It's fun. I like the groove. They only said the D word a couple of times and the S word just a few. It wasn't really that bad. Come on, we've got to watch the conversations, what we're surrounding ourselves, what's going in. Because remember, our minds never forget. Remember, our eyes are the camera. Well, our ears are the iPod or the MP3 player. Or if you're really old-fashioned, the 8-track that stores the information that the mind will never forget. Watch the conversations. Why watch what goes into you? The last window is our mouths. This is another window we must protect. Why? Because this window opens both ways. What do you mean? Mouths go in and things come out. 
What are we allowing to pass in through our mouths? What are we allowing to pass through our lips? But what also are we allowing to pass out through our lips and through our mouths? In and out, the mouth can and will defile us. Purity. I believe it's once again time to be pure. I believe once again it's possible to be pure. Proverbs 22 verse 11 says, He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. The king will be his friend forever. It's time to sanctify our lives and once again make a stand. I said it's time to live pure, unpolluted. It's time to guard our minds. It's time to guard our eyes. Time to guard our ears, our mouths. It's time to guard ourselves and realize that God desires for us to live pure before Him. Pure before Him. Pure before God. Would you stand with me this morning? Today, this is not a condemning word. Today, this is a life-giving word. The sins of this world, the attacks, the onslaughts, the filth of this world wants to do everything in its power to pollute us, to make us unpresentable before God. But you know what? Today, no matter what you've done, there's still forgiveness in God. The Bible says that he can make our heights, our hearts, sorry, as white as snow, pure before him. The Bible tells us, create in me, David wrote, a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away. Create in me a pure, right way of thinking, seeing, hearing. Speaking and indulging, God created me those things. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard. But we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heartseas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.